uh, we will be in, I'm not exactly sure when I'm, we're going to do this, uh, but we will be doing some Bible study that has to do more specifically and particularly with the Christmas celebration as those weeks uh, come. But uh, until that happens, we're going to continue in our study of the book of, of Romans. And we are in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to go back and read from the very beginning of the chapter. Uh, and we're going to be working primarily uh, from verse 11 and, and following. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? And as we talked about last week, this, is, this, is, this sounds like an absurd statement or an absurd, ridiculous conclusion that someone might come to that, that if I just want more grace, the only thing I have to do is sin more. Well, and Paul says in verse 2, may it never be that anyone would have that thought that they would believe that grace gives us a license or in almost an encouragement to sin that we would have more grace as a result of it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. As we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And this is where we're going to be picking up this morning. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we, shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you pre present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of disobedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that through, uh, that, that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the wickedness of your flesh, for just as you are presented, uh, as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members uh, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. 
Uh, if you'll remember last week, I, I mentioned that if, when it comes to sin, that there are two very important truths that we must always keep in mind. They should be in the forefront of our minds. The first one is this, is that my sin died when Christ died. That there's a sense in which, at the very moment that Christ died, my sin also died. Why? As we said before, because I am inseparably connected, joined to him. Remember we talked about in the Greek, it's like this sense of intertwining to the point that once these two things are joined together, that once we're joined to Christ, that you cannot separate the two. It's impossible to do that. I want you to remember that. That there is a real sense in which you have died already to sin. It is no longer the slave master that it was over you. It does not have the power over you that it once had. When, when God looks upon you, he sees you no longer as the dirty, rotten, nasty, awful sinner that you have been. He sees you through the cloak of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as holy and pure and free of sin. This is a truth that we need to think about very often. That there really is a sense in which my sin is already dead, as if it has already died absolutely, completely, totally. Paul is the, gospel, is, is the apostle of grace. He mentions grace far more times in his writings than you're going to find uh, any of the other apostles doing, and uses it a lot more than even Jesus does. Just grace, 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 grace. And because of that, sometimes people want to charge him with almost being what's called an antinomian. Antinomians believe that because Christ has fulfilled the law completely on our behalf, that the law, the, the law of the Bible no longer has any application to believers at all. That we are freed from the law completely and absolutely. If we think about grace and grace only, we will tend toward antinomianism. We will begin to believe that the law really doesn't have any bearing or binding upon us at all anymore. Well, if we read further or actually go back a little bit, we would find this, that God gave us a law for a lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is this, is so that we would see what sin is. Understand this is one of the primary applications of the word of God for you and I today as believers, and that is this, is it sees us, helps us to see sin for what sin is. For a lot of reasons, and one of those is that we can do everything we can to avoid it, to run away from it, not to run to it. If we focus on exclusively on this one truth too another thing will happen and that is people will begin to think that we believe that we are holier than everyone else 
those people who think that I am holier than thou. In other words, if we don't give any credence or thought to our own sin at all, and we just focus upon this idea that our sin is dead, then it's very easy for us to come across as hypocrites because we're telling other people what they should do and how they should do it. And at the same time, they look at us and they see us not doing it or doing what we're not supposed to do. There's another truth that we need to always keep in mind when it comes to sin. And that is that sin yet lives in me. It's not what Paul is focusing on here in chapter 6 in the book of Romans. But it is in fact that which he will focus a lot on in chapter 7. If this were not true, he could not write in Romans 8.13, If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit you're putting to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. So there are, de there are deeds of the body that need to be put to death. That is sin that's living, breathing in you. The problem is this is sometimes people focus exclusively on that second truth. And they don't give a lot of credence to the first one. Very often, that will lead to what's called fatalism. Fatalism is the idea that I know that I'm a sinner. I see it in myself so very clearly. What I need to do is just get used to it and acknowledge it and learn to live with it. In other words, it develops a defeatist attitude towards sin. It's just something that's there. It's real. I can't do anything about it. I just need to learn to live with it and go on with life. To have a rightful understanding and application of the principles that are being taught here, you have to have both of those truths in balance. That there's a real sense in which my sin died when Christ died. But at the same time, I know it's true because I see it. I experience it. I can't deny it. That sin still lives within me. It may be dying, but it hasn't died completely yet. Verse 10, for this death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Christ has paid the penalty. He's paid the price in full, absolute full, for every sin you've ever committed, every sin you'll commit today, and even the sins you're going to commit tomorrow and the next day after that. He's done it. Let me just say this. If you look at the order of things, sometimes we put importance based upon the order that things kind of appear, the things that come earlier are more important than things after that. I would say this. 
If you look at the pattern that Paul lays down here, what you'd find is this. Is there are those two truths. That sin has died, and that sin is still alive. But which one does Paul mention first? Which one does Paul elaborate on first? The first one. Not the second one. Now I stand here this morning feeling almost like I need to apologize to all of you. Because my tendency as a Christian over the years is to focus more on the second one and less on the first one. I mean, how many times have you sat here on Sunday morning and here's Keith telling you again what a dirty, rotten, nasty sinner you are. And very often I haven't followed it up with that second truth. I've left you kind of dangling there. But what I'm telling you is this, is if you want to do things the way God wants you to do, you need to focus mostly on the first one, realizing the second one is part of the picture and it's part of the reality, but keep your eyes and your heart and your focus on the first. Because that will empower you, and it's the only thing that will to help overcome the second. I was saying, both of these truths are absolutely important. They're necessary for you to have a good understanding of things. But what I'm telling you is if you're going to forget one of them, forget the second and remember the first. And that's not a message you probably would have, you've heard from me very often. It's so easy for us, and it's very easy for pastors to use the fact that there's still sin living in us as a, as a means to, to, to create guilt in people, to motivate people. And let me tell you something. Guilt is a very, very poor motivator. We do it all the time. We do it sometimes with our kids. You know, there, there are all kinds of things, uh, activities around us in which that would be the approach, that you use guilt. You make people feel guilty to motivate them. And there's a sense in which I do that with you sometimes to encourage you to move on in holiness. And one of the ways to do that is to remind us that we're guilty. You've heard me say in recent months, very, very often, uh, is, it, is if every person would, would focus more on their own sin and not so much on the sins of other people, you would see the church transformed. But it's so easy for us to see sin in other people and at the same time acknowledge it's in me, but excuse it away. You can always come up with excuses of why I did this and why I thought that and why I said this, that, or the other. When we're looking at the lives of other people, they don't have the opportunity to do that. We make judgments based upon how we see things, not on their input. One of the things that comes very clear in these passages of Romans is that we have to be engaged. Sin is not something that, because we're believers now, we can just put it on the back shelf and forget about it. We have to be actively involved in killing it. 
Paul's going to bring a lot of this teaching to a, a, to a sermation. Romans 8.13. That unless you're putting the deeds of the flesh to death by the power of the Spirit, you will surely die. He's not saying that to unbelievers. He's saying that to believers. We cannot be fatalists when it comes to sin. We need to be actively engaged in putting it to death in, our, in ourselves. And helping each other do that. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Now this, was, this came to my attention as I was studying this week. We are here in chapter 6. We're halfway through the book of Romans. And not one single time has Paul exhorted his readers to do one blasted thing. He hasn't said do this or do that or don't do this and don't do that. He hasn't said that one time. He hasn't used the imperative one time. He hasn't commanded them to do anything one time until now. This is the very first exhortation that we find in this book of Romans. Where Paul is saying, because all these things that I've been teaching you are true, this is how you're supposed to respond. This is what you do with all of that. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Fight it. Resist it. The only sin, a thing that sin accomplishes in you and me at this point is this, is it keeps us at a distance from Christ. It serves almost in a sense as a barrier but, but, but in, in that relationship that we have with him. The great disservice to us. Well, by the way, as we move on here, there's going to be a lot more of these exhortation imperatives we're going to see over and over again. And what Paul's been doing up to this point, he's laying the foundation that was necessary for him to get to the point where he can say things like, do this and don't do that. So do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lusts. So where are you? Is sin reigning or sin not reigning? Have you become one of those people who have just kind of decided that sin is just there? I know it's there. I'll acknowledge it's there. Other people see it in me. I know they see it in me. I see it in myself. But there's nothing I can do about it, so I just need to learn to live with it. Is that you? If that is you, you're not where you need to be 
If that is you, you're not where Christ wants you to be. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says this. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. I read that to you this morning because what Paul is referring to here when he says members of your body, he's talking about the different parts of our body. Our tongue, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet. There's a transformation that takes place in us begins with our being born again, our rebirth, when the Christ sent forth the Holy Spirit to breathe life into that which was spiritually dead. But there's also something called sanctification. It's a theological term. It's actually a biblical term. It's in the Bible. And that has to be... There's, there's two actually two aspects to it. One is called positional sanctification which means this is that because you are in Christ you are sanctified right now you're you, you, you're you're holy you're made holy by Christ but there's another sense of sanctification which is called progressive sanctification it has to do with with growing in holiness through time as sin is more and more put to death within you and the glory of Christ shines forth more clear, clearly from you What he's saying here is this. Is stop using those body parts to propagate sin. What about the tongue? The tongue is more deceitful than anything else. The tongue can pour forth Beautiful things, but it can pour forth lies and filth and abomination. And we could go on and on and on. But what Paul is encouraging them to do is to no longer allow your body members to participate in the propagation of sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But to use those body parts for the advancement of the gospel and the glorification of our God and King. 
So what would be some ways in which we could do that? Well, what about our tongue? What would be a very obvious way that we could use our tongue to advance Christ and the glory of God in this world? We can spread the gospel. Let me tell you, there's, there's no sweeter words. Let me, let me just say this first of all. There's no more bitter words that, that are going to fall upon the ears of some people than those words. You don't have the idea that every time you share the gospel with someone, they're going to listen to what you have to say, and they're just going to fall on their knees and pray for Christ on the, at that point. People do things like that very often only to turn away from their professed faith very soon after that because they haven't really thought through things. They haven't struggled with it. What about singing? Why do we sing on Sunday? It's because God loves it. God loves singing. God loves to be sang to. Use your tongue to honor and glorify Christ. Not to demean the people around you. What about your mind? What about your mind? Your mind controls just about everything else. We have to just consider the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now we're going to pick that apart when we get to it. But I just want to bring to our attention that what controls our fingers, what controls our eyes, what controls our ears, what controls our tongue, what controls our legs and our feet is our mind. And as long as the mind is polluted, the mind's not purified. There's not much help of changing anything, much hope. So how is it that we can renew our minds? Well, there's some things that ought to be very, very obvious to all of us. The premier one is the reading and studying of the Bible. Read it, study it. And once you're done reading it, read it, study it. And once you've finished reading it, read it, study it. Over and over and over again. As you dwell upon the word of God, what you'll find is this, is you dwell less upon the things of the world and more on his things. The word of God comes to life inside of us. There's a sense in which it is the breath of God that he breathes into us. And 
If you're not growing in holiness, I'd be willing to bet you that one of the major reasons is you don't spend much time in God's Word. I would almost stake my life on it. I wish I could give you a substitute. Not really. But there just is no substitute. There is no substitute. And don't tell me you don't have time. Some of you have all the time in the world. You know, retirement, very often we think about is this time when I get to now do all the things I wanted to do. You know, I'm not bound to have to go to work every day and do this and the other. Now I'm free to live life the way I've always wanted to and do the things I want to do. Have you thought about the idea that one of the reasons God gives it to you is to free you up so that now you have a time and you can spend more time with him? More time in his word. Listening to what he has to say to you. Growing more in maturity as a believer. Sadly, Bible in illiteracy is run amok in the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church. People talk about the Bible. People read a verse here, there, or yonder every now and then from the Bible. And then they wonder why they don't grow very much. They wonder why they just kind of stagnated and they don't seem to be advancing in this sense of holiness and all that. But take, take me out my word, guys. It will not happen to you apart from the Word of God. So if you don't want to grow as a believer, close your Bible and put it on the shelf and forget about it. But if you want to grow as a believer, it will not happen, it won't happen, it cannot happen without the Word of God playing a major role in it. And that means more than sitting here on Sunday morning and listening to me talk for a little while. You've got to be in the Word. You have to be. You will not get beyond where you are. As a matter of fact, if you don't, you will begin to digress. Not grow stronger in your faith, but weaker in your faith. You'll go in the opposite direction. You see, this is where progressive sanctification comes into play. It's something that you are involved in. It's something that you're engaged in. It's something that you have to contribute to. Positionally, yes, you're sanctified because God says that you are. You are holy right now in the eyes of God. But at the same time, there's still sin alive in you. And one of the things that we need to be about doing is using our mind Using our members, our body parts, to put it to death.
When was the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? Dreadfully, I, I would not be surprised if there aren't people in this room who have really never shared the gospel with anybody. That's my job. That's all of our jobs. There may be people in your life and you've been praying for them and you're hoping that they become a believer and this, that, and the other and, you know, and, and whatever. But have you ever sat down with them and told them what the gospel is? Use your brain, use your tongue to glorify God and possibly play a major role in the salvation of someone else. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Unbelievers are described as being slaves to sin. They can't do anything but sin. Everything they do is sin. Every thought, every action, every deed is sin. Even though very often they apparently do things on the, on the outside that look like they're good... But the problem is they're doing them for the wrong reasons. Remember how this chapter started. With the absurd question. And just remember Romans is really one of the major patterns you see in this book is this is Paul is teaching things and he anticipates the questions. He just knows that the people he's writing to, he's teaching, are going to have. And you're going to see that pattern develop more and more through this book. Because he teaches some really hard stuff here. Some phenomenal stuff, some unbelievable stuff, really great stuff. But he has to make sure that people understand what he's teaching. And one of the ways he does that is anticipates the wrongful, wrongful conclusions he knows people, some people are going to come to based upon what he said. I'm beginning into another one of those next week. I would encourage you, I would incur, strongly encourage you, as we're preaching through this book of Romans, that you on your own would be reading and studying through this book of Romans. You will get a whole lot more out of it if you do that.
So what are those two truths? We have a quiz next Sunday, and I ask you that. Will you be able to tell me what those two very important fundamental truths are about sin in believers? Maybe we should have a pop quiz. <laughs> and I can say this to you this morning because I'm, I, because I, from personal experience, I've heard sermons and sometimes really, really great sermons, you know, and I'm telling everybody about this great sermon that I heard last week, and then they say, well, what was it about? I'm going, I don't remember. I just remember it was really good. It's probably, probably the best sermon I ever heard in my life. But it doesn't come to mind what it was even about. Lori and I, years ago, we, uh, before we were in the ministry, we were uh, at the grocery store one day, and we are going through the checkout line, and the back boy happened to be a, a member of the church that we were going to, and we got down to the end, and he said, you know what, I had to work last Sunday. He said, what was the sermon about? And Lori and I are looking at each other, and we're going, it was really good. I know it was really good. It was, it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my whole lifetime. But by the time we got to the car, we still couldn't remember what it was about. Understand, knowledge is what is imparted in the Word of God to us. Knowledge is what we need to be seeking here. And it needs to be real, living, breathing knowledge that we take and we apply that we don't forget as soon as we walk out the door out there. And if every one of us would just learn that simple little lesson, it would transform our life. Every day would be very different than it would have been otherwise. 